Hey, I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for downloading. This time, what it's like being freelance for composer and musician Jamie Salisbury. Any, anything doable, if you just sort of say yes these days, you've got the internet, you've got Google, you've got people online you can talk to. I kind of think almost anything is achievable. I worked at home for many, many years, and then uh, we had a kid. So at that point, I found a studio and I couldn't believe what happened to my productivity. Literally probably get three or four times as much done in a day. Absolutely unbelievable. And I wish I'd done it years ago, actually. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for uh, yeah joining me for another episode of Being Freelance. There's loads for you to listen to now. If you've just found us, beingfreelance.com. Uh, take a look, subscribe on iTunes or whatever. And also, we've got a newsletter you can sign up to now as well. So why not do that? Uh, it's a um, little mail out that we do each week. Uh, the form is very simple. You just put your email address in, hit submit. If you don't like it, hey, you can always unsubscribe again, can't you? So go to beingfreelance.com. Okay, let's crack on though. Chat to Jamie Salisbury, based just north of London, and he is a freelance composer and musician. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Yeah, good. So why don't we get started chatting about how you got started being freelance? Right. Well, I mean, I guess I've never really known any other way, to be honest. I've, I've always freelanced since literally, I mean, the age of 15, I started teaching a friend of mine piano. Um, friend of the family uh, and that was sort of you know sort of cash in hand first sort of gig and then sort of never really did anything else to be honest I worked for a, a few months one summer at McDonald's um, where I basically hunk, functioned as a human climbing frame uh, for young children at parties um, and then got sacked that's my sort of entire you know working for the man was a few months at McDonald's before I got fired and uh since then, really, I've just been working for myself. So, so, so what was it like? Did you do music college, or I don't? I went to university, Sussex University. Um, studied sort of twentieth century music, which is essentially um, you know, Stockhausen, Schoenberg, kind of what you'd probably hear as kind of squeaky gate music, which is really, <laughs> really fascinating to study. Brilliant to write essays about, but absolutely entirely useless in the real world. So I had a lot of fun, but it didn't really take me anywhere. Um, but alongside that, at the same time, I was writing, I uh, wrote a couple of musicals, I wrote music for plays. Um, and then after uni, I moved to London. I was mostly gigging at that point, doing you know, other people's cover bands and things. And I just, I was just about paying my rent, but only just. And I thought, oh, I've got to basically make a choice here, which is either I've got to practice my instrument incredibly hard, uh, which is piano, by the way. Um, and become, you know, sort of super session musician, or I've actually just got to run a band myself. That way I can do all the gigs. So I, I chose the lazy option, which was running a band, because um, I didn't like practising. Uh, so then that, that really took off, really, and uh, that kind of was me being a freelancer, running, a, running essentially a, a band that does weddings, uh, corporate functions. You know, that wasn't... <sighs> I enjoyed it, but it wasn't really my thing. Composing was always my thing. So suddenly, a few years later, I sort of made a spur-of-the-moment decision to go for a master's degree at uh, London College of Music and Media, which really, it was only a year, but it, it really kick-started my showreel. And during that period, I composed and conducted a piece for the BBC Symphony Orchestra, which won a prize. So that was sort of my showreel, was this piece 
uh, to picture for an animation for the BBC Symphony Orchestra, which obviously sounded amazing because it's the BBC <laughs> Symphony Orchestra um, and a little bit better than the sort of gear I had in my studio at the time, which was a bit naff. And that, that sort of led to other things. There's this a project that end, called Endwells that came along, which we recorded in Prague with a 70-piece orchestra. It, it turned out that I had sort of accidentally, in writing Endwells, one of the pieces was kind of accidentally a piece of trailer music in, in terms of its structure, which is a very big industry. And that sort of led me to work with a library called Immediate, who are a very famous library music company, um, and then other libraries like EMI on the back of that. And then I was, I was kind of off and running, really. Wow. So, so just to put this in perspective, when did you do that Masters? Uh, 2006. So 10 years ago, you... Yeah, 10 years ago. You and then it was probably, it was a few years really of stuttering about... Compos- I mean, I was still, you know, freelance doing my playing for other people, running my band. Um, but the composing was something I always struggled to really believe in myself for, um, you know, that it was really possible to earn a good living doing it. And then to be honest, part of what happened was the credit crunch and the, the gig sort of dried up a little bit. And I thought, oh, God, blimey, what am I going to do? Um, I need, either need to go back to teaching or I try this composition thing. And suddenly, weirdly, composition looked like the sensible option, whereas it looked like, you know, sort of a ridiculous flight of fancy for many years before that. So as a composer, how do you go about finding work? Is it- It's all sorts of different ways, really. I mean, certain things have come in literally just through me having a website that exists and people stumble across it through various ways that's what that's how Endworlds happened um and what, what was how... Endworlds is that a, a... sorry Endworlds is a science fiction ebook it was the first orchestral score written for an ebook um so it's a big sci-fi thing wow and uh, I just got a call totally out of the blue and this guy had seen this video that I'd done with the BBC Symphony Orchestra loved it um and wanted me to do this this thing and he said oh, I just want 70 minutes of huge bombastic film themes that sounds like John Williams and Hans Zimmer and things. I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, can, can you can you organise an orchestra in Europe and orchestra? Yeah, of course I can. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Which, which now you know I wouldn't well, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. It's 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 a, still a major undertaking, but it's it's you know very doable. But at the time was I was I was blacking, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I found out how to organise an orchestra in Europe very quickly. Uh, yeah, any, anything's doable if you just sort of say yes these days. You've got the internet, you've got Google, you've got people online you can talk to, and you can put the whole thing together very quickly. I like that. So don't say no to things. Just figure out how to do it. Well, yeah, I think that's that's something I've got the confidence with now, that if if someone asked me to do like a genre of music that I've never written before, I've, I've got the confidence that... Musically, I can, you know, listen to a bunch of stuff, analyse it and go, yeah, that's how I do it. Um, and there's also other people I can work with to achieve these things, um, collaborate. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, the practical logistical stuff, I've got a big network of composers I talk to a lot on Facebook and Twitter. And there's certain people that I ask for advice about different things. Um, so, yeah, there's and it, apart from, you know, time limitations of you just can't get X amount of music written in X days. I kind of think almost anything is achievable these days. Nice. Where do you do your work? I, I have a studio 
um, which is uh, which I love actually. It's it's not a grand studio at all. It's a room in a in an office space, um, so it's not a kitted out studio. It's not sound insulated or anything. But it's about five minutes walk from my house, which is really lovely. And um, I worked I worked at home for many many years, and then uh, we had a kid. My wife and I had a, a kid who is wonderful and gorgeous. But uh, if you try and work at home <laughs> with a young baby in the house. Uh, it leads to certain issues, which, I mean, if, you, if you're working and you hear the baby crying, you've basically got two options, which is either you down tools and go and help, and, and you obviously lose your thread, or you just feel incredibly guilty and, uh, and, and plough on, um, which is almost impossible to do. So at that point, I found a studio, found this studio, and I couldn't believe what happened to my productivity. The amount of minutes of music I could write during the day was was absolutely unbelievable. And I wish I'd done it years ago, actually. Ah. Um, e- even, even when it was just me at home all day, my wife at work, no kids, I still didn't focus in the way that I do now. Um, you know, and I literally probably get three or four times as much done in a day as I did in those days. When you're at home, you've got the kitchen, you've got the TV, you've got the fridge, you've got piles of laundry, which I didn't necessarily do anything about, but still. Um, <laughs> but they're yeah. still distracting you. <laughs> yes, I'm just looking at them going, in a minute, mate, in a minute. Um, so, yeah, it's, some, it's something I wish I'd done years ago. I think it's really important to have that different space, especially as a father. When There were, there were times when Lou would look at me and say, are you working at the moment? And even I wouldn't know. And then, <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But you've got to, you know, it, it's almost like I need to put, put a hat on when I was working and take it off when I wasn't or something. Um, but now it's, it's a very clear division. You know, dad comes home, here's dad, here's husband. Um, and I know, and they know, that I'm not working. Whereas if in the studio, obviously, they don't disturb me. Um, and it works, yeah, it works far better. Yeah, good for you. And... I mean, you mentioned like connecting with different uh, freelancers or musicians or composers important to collaboration. Is so a lot of that is done remotely. Then is it? It is, yeah. Which 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 is weird. It's it's incredibly efficient. Um, it's not as much fun um, as always getting in a room with people, uh, which I still do as much as I can. But I mean, it's incredible what what can be achieved remotely these days. I'm, there's I've just worked on a. A TV series for ITV, and I haven't met any of them. Um, you know, everything's just done online. I've even recorded an orchestra in uh, Budapest via Skype, which is the most crazy thing. Um, and I was, you know, I was literally sitting there in my slippers, saying, "No, go back to bar thirty-seven and <laughs> you know, talking to the talking to directly to the conductor in real time. I'm hearing everything they're playing. Uh, it's absolutely bonkers." And it's kind of a shame that it works. It works really, really well. I never need actually turn up to an orchestral session again. But I'm going to because it's brilliant. And it's, you know, if, you, if you're in this composing, I think if, if that's not what excites you, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah. When it comes to getting new work, I'm just trying to uh, think about you know, we often think of the highs and lows of our finances, the way they come in. Like, is it a steady stream of work that you have? Or do you no. find... All <laughs> oh, right, go on. Well, I mean, the the musician side of me, that uh, I should clarify that I, I, in terms of playing, 
I playing was my full time thing for many years with a little bit of teaching on the side. And I've intentionally let that slide a bit, but my band is still running. I'm still doing gigs for other people. So that tends to be a reasonably steady flow of cash. Um, although you have quiet times a year, for example, January and February is always very quiet. Summer is always very busy. Christmas is always busy. I see. So, so you manage like a functions band. You still manage that band, but other people I, go out and what, do it. Basically, what happened was around, I think it's probably around about the time the End Worlds thing happened. I was still running that band. Um, but I needed to kind of step away from it a bit. So I employed my own father to to be, basically be the band manager, um, which he still does to this day. We've, we've sort of wound it down a little bit just so I can really focus on the comp- composition. But so I've got two major streams of income. I'm hoping probably not to be gigging in that way, you know, in the next year or two. But in terms of cash flow, I've, I've sort of been used to having a bank balance that kind of zooms up and zooms down all over the place for so many years that I've I've not really worried about it until I had kids when it obviously you get a bit more responsibility and uh, you know if you suddenly have no money it's not just you that's kind of you know just eating toast for a month Um, so you, you kind of I've been keeping a lot closer eye on my finances. Um, and yeah, things things go massively up and down. I mean, if you're working on long projects, you tend to bespoke projects for, for TV, film, whatever. You tend to get, say, 50% up front, 50% back end. But it is still this, it's a very weird way of earning a living. Um, but I just sort of trust it all works out in the end. I mean, there's there's huge cash flow issues with library music. Should I explain library music? Yeah, I was going to say, because... So I'm sitting here thinking, so you've got the band bringing in, like, a fairly regular income, as in you can kind of predict what it is, and it sounds like you're making it less significant, but it's there as a safety net. Then you've got the composition. So library music you mentioned earlier. So that's... Yeah, explain that. So there are certain libraries, such as uh, EMI Production Music is one I work for regularly, uh, Imargum is another well-known library within the library world. Um, they own Boozy and Hawks and other names you might have heard of. But how library music works is you, you write for a certain album in a certain style. So, for instance, I've done things called cinematic pop rock, um, various epic, in inverted uh, commas, epic trailer music. Um, I've just done a funk pop thing. So they're, they're all under a certain genre um, I did one called US Drama, which sort of meant to sound a bit like Breaking Bad and things like that. So that'll get released by the company, a TV company or a radio company or any kind of production company can use that. They know what the rate is. It's a set rate. They probably play a, bl- a blanket fee that covers all the music they use. Um, and I get PRS income, which is the, the back-end royalties on that, and a sync fee, so they pay a certain amount of, of money per per use. You you can do very well out of it, but the trouble is cash flow because it can take, you know, for example, six months for the album to be produced and released. Then it might take a few months after that, or you know, far longer for it to actually to be used on a production. Then it takes another nine months for the PRS income to come through, and if it gets used throughout the world, for example, in certain parts of Europe, things like that, it can take. 18 months so you look at it it's really you write a track you really have to forget about it for three years and then you'll see the income but um i am assured that uh, you know there's a lot of library composers doing very well 
Um, and I'm probably five years into that pattern. So I'm just starting to see good results. And it should build up over time. But you've got to have a very large catalogue of library music. Have you done, because I, I freelance creating, for the most part, the, most of what I do is creating videos. And there is a huge sort of variety of websites where you can buy library music basically yeah but obviously it's on a totally different scale license wise to um the sort of thing that you've just described for film and tv yeah. um but web video production is such a surging industry that there's a lot of people creating bits of music you know you've got a ukulele you've got somebody clapping you're laughing oh, um, God. <laughs> um people like me come along we listen to a selection of songs we download them and they've various sites um but it's a big industry i notice is is that something uh, presumably that might happen a bit quicker i don't know because it's not what, yeah what you're talking about is there, there's, there's two sides really to the library industry there's non-exclusive which is i guess you call it the bottom end where you can buy a track for 20 30 quid or something and then it's you know it's yours it's royalty free a lot of the time um i have i have certain stuff that is actually on non-exclusive libraries that is under a pseudonym and it tends to be stuff I've written for films that I still own the copyright for um, that I've sort of edited and released which so it's it's not really good library music but it's okay and it might work in some contexts Um, things like uh, pitches that I've done for uh, a tv thing or a film or whatever that haven't succeeded and don't find another home I might use as non-exclusive library music. Uh, I've actually, um, my master's studio work uh, portfolio, you know, my coursework is uh, on a non-exclusive library site somewhere. And uh, it does it does make me smile whenever I earn 20 quid for selling. <laughs> I've got a track called Celebrity Bargain Animal Swap Park, which... Uh, <laughs> Which, which is which done surprisingly well, sort of, you know, and a couple of hundred quid over the last few years. And it's just something you you did for your for your course. Yeah, brilliant. And I'm still earning money from it, which is hilarious to me. It's, it's actually one of the things that gives me the most pleasure uh, whenever I sell a part of my uni homework. But that, that's it's interesting. So you use a pseudonym, uh, so yeah. so that people don't, you know, you've got your high end. Jamie Salisbury composer stuff, and yeah, then you've got yeah. stuff you don't really want to. You're not proud of so much, but it- I don't associate myself with the other stuff. No, I probably shouldn't even tell you this, should I? Secret. Well, I think that's it's it's interesting, you know, to diversify your income and to do that kind of thing. I, I, nothing wrong with doing that at all. There's some no, stuff I, which yeah, is I mean, really- I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say I had a plan to diversify my income. I think it's just how it's worked out. Um, I've always been interested in working in all sorts of different fields. So being a musician and being a composer, for instance, is something that makes me very happy. And I don't want to just be a composer. And actually, I really, as much as I enjoy writing high-end symphonic orchestral music for, you know, a a film released in the cinema or whatever, I also like writing things like Celebrity Bargain Animal Swap Park. (laughs) I do. I do. It's really good. I'll send it to you. You'll love it. You mentioned there the some of that you know pseudonym library music is music you've done for pitches which you still own own the rights to because it hasn't actually been commissioned if i understood that right yes yeah is does that happen a lot so how in pitches you're working for free in order to try and get something often often for free sometimes paid i mean i think in terms of yes you're often asked to write something on spec 
and it is usually for free unless they really want you. Um, so the level I'm at, at the moment, I'm getting paid sometimes and pitching for free more often. But I'm hoping to, you know, in a, in a year or two, I'll be in a position to only do paid pitches, for instance. But um, yeah, I mean, you have to put on a lot of effort to to get a project. You, you, you might only get sort of one in every three, four, five projects you pitch for. How do you take those knockbacks? Uh, I'm, I'm fine with it, really, because there's so many... Um, you, you never know exactly what they're looking for. And it, it's it's... Who knows what they're looking for? It, it could be anything in your composition. I know I'm a good composer, but if I'm not the right fit, that's fine. I mean, I, for example, I, I, I pitched for... I was asked to pitch for Poldark, um, which was on BBC last year. And uh, I, I sort of worked really closely with the producers and worked for that for, 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 for five days. And uh, I, I wrote half an hour's worth of music in a week, which is, you know, a new record for me and I didn't get the gig in the end and I watched it on TV and and Dudley did the score and she's brilliant and it sounds sounds absolutely totally different to what I wrote and what they asked me to write uh. but I think it was just a process they were going through trying to find the right sound and I think I was a part of that um, so yeah apparently I kind of finished second for that which is quite annoying <laughs> do you know what I've, I'll, that would have been good I'll point people in the direction of the uh, catch up episode we did just before Christmas with Chris Hollis who's a com- uh, composer and he describes his process of plugging away for years until he finally got a TV ad uh, commission which only happened last year so uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing worth checking back o- over that episode I'll put a link in the show notes at beingfreelance.com when you you sort of touch upon your portfolio and stuff you know like clients finding you through your website is is there a way that you market yourself social media important soundcloud that kind of thing i don't know yeah there's i mean to go back briefly to the website thing i I think something that's very important on there is my showreel it used to be sort of a big bunch of tracks and you could listen to any of the tracks and they were all sort of anything between three and you know nine or ten minutes long and then i realized how how long people really listen to music for when they're they're searching for a composer. They land on your website, they go bang, 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 listen to a few things, and they're off. So my current showreel is about, I don't think it's even four minutes long, and it's literally maybe 15, 20 seconds of each track, all edited together. So you can sit there and it's, you know, it it is bang, 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 all the hits. Um, (laughs) And uh, and then you, if you want to listen further, you've got sort of links to my SoundCloud and things like that. Um, but I, but I found that works really well. That I, I know for a fact that that's the reason I got um, a gig working for Microsoft doing a game because that showreel landed on the right guy's desk on the right morning. I think I, I just emailed him out of the blue, um, and there was a bit in the middle, literally ten seconds worth, which sounded exactly like what he wanted. And then that, that's how I got the gig. Interesting, though. You said you emailed him out of the blue. So yes. Is that something you do? So what I did for that one, I got a list of the 100 biggest games companies in the UK. And I literally went through from A onwards. And I got, I got no response. It was really getting me down. I was really doing sort of tailored emails, really looking at their games and seeing which ones would suit me and writing really nice sort of personalised emails, not just spammy kind of hi, can I have a gig kind of emails. And I got through to M and it was like Microsoft. And I thought, well, 
I'm not going to bother with this. Oh, yeah, I'll do it just. And he was the one that replied straight away. (laughs) So just goes to show. Wow. And it doesn't get much bigger than doing something for the Xbox. You should have started up M and P for PlayStation. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe N for Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then you were asking about social media, weren't you? Sorry. So I, yes, I've networked a lot with other composers who are great for advice, but also have brought me work. I mean, the um, film I did last year um, called Up All Night, which had a full UK cinema release, I did with a couple of good friends of mine, Banks and Wag, um, and and they brought me in through hearing my work on social media. Uh, Also, Sugar Free Farm, which I've just done for ITV, that came in through another composer who I met through Twitter. Um, I hated Twitter at first, absolutely hated it. I just felt it was like this, everyone in a room just shouting and no one <laughs> listening. It was just a bizarre thing. I, it took me years to get the hang of it, but now I get it. Because I used to keep posting music and it would be really depressing. It would be like, oh, you know, no one's liked that or favourited it or whatever. Um, no one's retweeting, no one's responding. I am just p- keep posting this music and then this chap posted this thing about working on a TV series. I said, oh, do you want some help with that? And he said, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan of yours. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, I've been listening to all your music you've been posting. All right. So it just goes to show, you know, you put these things out there and you get no response, but actually people are listening. So he, on the back of that, he then recommended me for this other gig that he couldn't do. Um, So that was how that particular one came in. Um, so yeah, all sorts of um, sources for new work. Old old friends recommending you for things through composers, through just emailing people out of the blue, through knowing directors and people just stumbling upon you. Um, I've done some contemporary dance work as well, which is amongst the most sort of favourite things I've done in recent years. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things where they just sort of Googled me, stumbled across me. Think probably maybe stumbled across me on SoundCloud. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I love I love writing for contemporary dance because that that sort of middle ground between oh, go and write an album, which totally freaks me out, and you know, go and write a symphony. Ah, um, <laughs> it's, it's just it's just too big, um, and I need deadlines. I need structure, and contemporary dance has that structure, but it doesn't restrict you. If you suddenly think oh, this could really do with an extra thirty seconds of this then I can usually do that. Yeah. Interesting to hear you say about deadlines. Like, how do you stay creative and, you know, keep keep things moving on projects? Well, tight tight deadlines are one of the, the, the big things about this industry, especially when you're doing bespoke work. Not so much for library music. That tends to be quite relaxed. You can actually do library music as a real sort of nine-to-five kind of thing. Uh, or just work the hours you want. But there are some crazy, crazy deadlines. They always bring the composer on at the end. With a film, the composer is always the last person uh, to work on it because everything else needs to be in place. And sometimes you might have two weeks to write a whole film score. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. And, you know, it, it, it's a shame because it, it, it means it's very hard to try out crazy ideas. You, that's why a lot of film scores can be quite generic because you're just like, well, I've just got to get this done in a way that is going to be approved. It's a lot, but it's it's a buzz. I really enjoy the crazy deadlines. It's not so good for family life. But but on the whole, I, li- I quite like the odd crazy, crazy deadline. And I find I get quite uh, creative 
with that sort of rounding, working around the clock kind of thing. But having said that, you can, you can do that stuff every so often. But uh, you, you, if you find yourself doing it every week, it's 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 no good. But I find, yeah, I find the deadlines quite motivating. And actually, the hardest thing I find is is when the deadline's really relaxed. You know, trying to get ahead of the game, I tend to just relax. And you know, it's the classic thing where it fills up the time you're allowed. And I know I can't set myself deadlines because I know they're not real. I often ask people about side projects. Do you mm. have things that you do on the side? No, there's there's nothing I do for free just for fun these days. But there's stuff I do which doesn't pay that well, but pay you know just about enough that I do because it's fun. There's I would definitely include the contemporary dance in that. There's a retro indie game series of retro indie games I'm, I'm doing called The Journey Down. They're, they don't have a huge amount of money, but it's got real sort of heart and soul to it. It's, it feels like the Secret of Monkey Island, that that kind of <laughs> thing. If you were a sort of child of the the eighties, um, I, I do. I mean, yeah. Last on Sunday, I was playing on a a friend's TV show that they've got, um, and that that is definitely something. I did for for the for the pure enjoyment of it, um, playing with other people musically. Local gigs, I guess. Local gigs for fun, for you know, a little bit of beer money, but is huge amounts of fun. Yeah, nice. Now, I always do this thing where I ask you to give me three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay, I've played on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. <gasps> I've played piano for Paul, Sir Paul McCartney. I've played in the show band on a cruise ship for nudists. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I hope those last two weren't combined. Um, so when you played on a cruise ship for nudists, did the band, ha- was everyone nude? We we were allowed to be naked. Um, but uh, we, no, we, I, I didn't personally take that up. I didn't think that would be fair on anyone. So you play, uh, what was the other one? So you played the pyramid stage? Yep. For who? For an artist called Baz. Uh, back in the day, uh, she was on one little Indian records, and we, you know, we had the sort of I think second slot of the day, eleven thirty, twelve, or something like that. What did that feel like? Well, it was it was awesome, but the way you picture the pyramid stage is, you know, you picture it at sort of midnight when it's absolutely heaving and people going, you know, going nuts. It's a little different uh, just after people have had their breakfast, <laughs> and but, but it's still amazing. You played piano for Paul McCartney. I did. Sir Paul McCartney. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a function gig, bizarrely, that we got booked for with my band called MPL Communications. Well, that MPL Communications, okay, whatever. Standard gig. And then we found out about two days before the gig that that stood for McCartney Publishing Limited. <gasps> and, uh, yeah, we turned up and he, he sort of walked in and gave us the thumbs up and we were like, oh, my God. And then he came up to us and said... Uh, I, I wish I could do the accent, Steve. I can't do the accent. But uh, he said, you know, do, do you guys know Slow Boat to China? <laughs> and we're like, what? No. No. Oh, never mind. We're like, come back, come back, come back. What about something else, something else? And uh, we went through these things and we were like, oh, God, no, we don't know that. And this was before the days when you could just Google the chord changes uh, on your smartphone. And, uh, and then eventually went to, do you know any, uh, do you know any Beatles tunes? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, we do. Loads you played Beatles covers for Sir Paul McCartney. Well, so he got up on the stage. What? And then, and then oh, we're going, this is, oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, 
you know, do you know Long Tall Sally? We did the early sort of rock and roll stuff they used to do. And, uh, and, then, and then he said, uh, and this is my mate, he plays piano, do you mind? And I went, no, yeah, sure, that's fine, of course. And uh, sort of shuffled on the, off the stage feeling a bit depressed that oh. everyone else could see. But then I picked up a tambourine because, <laughs> you know, at least then I can say I play with Paul McCartney. And then very kindly his, his mate said, come on, mate, just, you know, he played a couple and then I played a couple. Uh, oh, my God. So, OK. And on the nudie cruise, um, did people get up and dance, or did you deliberately play ballads? There was there was a, a talent show. Oh, by the way, it was called the Bare Necessities. <laughs> this this cruise, and uh, when when I signed it's up for the a g- lie. When, when, when I signed up for the gig, I didn't know that this was happening, and everyone kept saying, "Are you ready for the new cruise?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, new you know newcomer on the cruise ship, whatever." And uh, and then I just realised so many people have said, have you, "Are you ready for the new cruise?" They can't have possibly organised this joke on me. Um, so I just slowly dawned on me that it was really happening. Um, you know, for people doing line dancing with no clothes on. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I didn't get in a lift that whole week because <laughs> they, they had mirrored lifts and they were quite small and snug. And I got a lot of exercise that, that week going up and down the stairs. Okay. Um, they could all be true, but I'm going to say you didn't play on the pyramid stage. Well done! Wow, you really did play for Sir Paul McCartney, though. That's really awesome. did, yeah. It was we 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 did the gig, and then we sort of we were trying to all be cool uh, about it. And, yeah, cheers, man. Um, then we sort of went out in the car park and screamed like little girls because <laughs> we were so excited. If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? Uh, probably my main message would be get on with it. Uh, you know, I now know I can write five minutes a day, five minutes of music a day if I need to for a film. Uh, you know, with those crazy deadlines that I've hit. And back in the day, it would take me a month to write three minutes with the music and I'd be really happy with that. Um, you know, I didn't really realise what I could achieve. Um, so it'd partly be that. Um, and also I would tell myself to write an album full of ukulele and clapping. <laughs> because, because that stuff is just not going away. I'd have earned a fortune if I'd done that about 10 years ago. Excellent. Check out beingfreelance.com. Have a listen to all the previous guests. Remember, whether you do the job they do or not, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. There's loads of stuff to gain from everyone. Uh, if you know enough of freelancer, tell them about it. And join us on Twitter as well, at beingfreelance. Reach out to Jamie and thank him or ask him where you can buy his celebrity bargain hunt. What was it called? Celebrity Animal Bargain Swap Park. <laughs> <laughs> that that isn't what I want to make it clear that's not what I do it's not what he's proud of um, I, although I kind of am and of course we'll put links to Jamie's website and stuff like that at beingfreelance.com as well oh and also you can sign up for the being freelance mail out newsletter call it what you will thing so uh, all of that at beingfreelance.com Jamie thank you so much and Very all welcome. the best being freelance thanks Steve thanks Steve